Quick question for you as we get ready to dive into our passage today. How do you preach the gospel? You know, at Solid Ground, you're gonna hear this more and more as we spend more time together, is that we practice the way of Jesus. And one of Jesus's core practices that we see all throughout the gospels is that he preached the gospel. So as we are with Jesus, as we're transformed by Jesus, we will eventually do what Jesus did. Now, if you have a Bible with you, please turn or open a tab to Luke chapter 19. But there's different methods of gospel preaching. Uh, so how, how do you do it? Uh, I remember taking so wisely, uh, being on a team that took about 45 middle schoolers from Tulsa, Oklahoma to New York City. And we were doing a short-term missions trip in the city getting 45 middle schoolers on a subway at Grand Central Station during rush hour almost killed me. But uh, we had a lot of good experiences too and working with clothing banks and food banks. But I remember one particular day, I took my, my section of the team, about 10 of us, and we went into, into lower Manhattan, got to Wall Street, and our, our project director gave us these red bibs and all of these little tracks. So imagine standing on Wall Street, giving people paper that they don't want. I don't know how much you know about New York, but people, I've never seen people walk that fast. <laughs> and our job was to get rid of all of these tracks with great information on them. But I kept thinking, I'm trying to hand a person a piece of paper when, and this is gonna date myself, they have the latest edition of a Palm Pilot. <laughs> they can get all that information. Um, I'm taking their valuable time and it wasn't a very fruitful uh, experience, especially for our teenagers. They were yelled at. <laughs> they learned some very colorful language. Um, and we also saw folks down there on Wall Street with bullhorns. We saw the billboards, uh, you know, preaching the gospel, uh, heaven or hell, you know. Uh, so no matter what comes to your mind when you think preaching the gospel, it may be a billboard, maybe a bullhorn, or maybe on a big stage. Maybe when I said that, you thought of Billy Graham giving, giving the gospel message or some, some celebrity pastor. But what if preaching the gospel looked more like sharing a meal in your home? I like that different question. What if preaching the gospel looked a lot more like offering a comforting word to a coworker that's going through a different time? What if we met people in a place of pain with love? Because you don't have to look far in our world today to notice that a lot of people are lonely. You don't have to do too many Google searches to know that, that people who use social media a lot get more and more lonely or there's an underlying loneliness that, that, that feeds into this um, searching for connection, yet they're isolated on their own device or in their own home. A lot of people in this world would say, you know, survey after survey done by all the big Gallup and Barna, people say they feel like no one knows them well, more so than at any time that we've been tracking these things. You've probably heard the phrase mental health crisis a lot over the past few weeks, months, and years. And as, as I think about just the normal, if, if, if you are not a Jesus follower and you're following the, the, the secular life plan that says I've got to acquire as much stuff, I've got to uh, gain as much fame or 
if all this is meaningless, maybe I just get as much pleasure as I can possibly get. Well, of course, that's going to feed into loneliness. It's going to feed into feelings of isolation. So again, another question. Could preaching the gospel look a lot less like a sales pitch and a more like love? Well, yes, of course. That's, that's, that's a rhetorical question. And I want to walk through a passage that shows you how Jesus preached the gospel, especially to those who were outside of the in-group in, in religious circles. So let's go through this passage in Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to read through verses 1 through 10 with you. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I love that passage. If you grew up going to Sunday school like me, you have the jingle going through, going through your head. Zacchaeus was. We won't sing the whole thing. Um, Marie, Pastor Marie's already done singing. I'm not. You don't want me doing that. Uh, but wonderful, wonderful passage. Anyone have images of felt boards coming to mind? Uh, I mean, technology has stolen so much joy from us. Uh, we've recently dug out our old felt boards here at Solid Ground, and we're using them with the little flannel graphs, and the kids are like, this is amazing. It's like animation in real time. But uh, fun, a couple fun facts here. I, I learned in my research on this passage and I'll let you guys argue this out in the comments if you want. Uh, in the original Greek, it doesn't really specify who's short. I'm not going to touch that one because the song, I mean, for me, Zacchaeus has to be the one who's short, right? But I love that phrase that, that stuck out to me on this reading of the scripture. He calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. That's not really popped in, uh, popped out to me, but it means Zacchaeus is one of the family of God. This is not like a cute story like I learned in Sunday school. There is a lot of warm fuzzies of Jesus. I mean, talk about being in touch with the Father, just passing through Jericho, just minding his own business, looks up at the tree, calls him out by name, and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to invite myself to your house today. There are a lot of cute and warm fuzzies from Zacchaeus's point of view, but this is a dangerous story. There's a reason why verse 7 says, all the people, all the people muttered. <laughs> it's a, only Jesus could manage to tick off everyone in the crowd by inviting him over to some, uh, by inviting himself over to someone's house. Uh, and uh, we know, uh, this may be a refresher, tax collectors were hated. 
Uh, we talk about that a lot around here, and I, I heard this way of describing a first century Jewish tax collector. They didn't call, a, a biblical scholar called them tax farmers. Here are Jews selling out their brothers and sisters to the Roman Empire, to the, the, the puppet government around, the governors that were in their regions. They were selling their own people out so they could make a fortune. So there were two lowest rungs on the social ladder in first century Israel. So there, there were tax farmers or tax collectors, and there were also prostitutes. This is not the kind of person you're supposed to hang out with if you're a good first century Jewish guy. I wanna pause right there for a second. Please don't put this in the comments below. This is just for you, pause. Who in your mind is at the bottom of the ladder of your imagination? All right, maybe it's, uh, I'm not gonna go through, go through and give you examples. But who, who is the lowest of the low? I mean, you better take this chance. I don't give you permission to judge people very often, but we're gonna, and we're gonna move on from it. But allow that to, to come into your mind. Who is at the bottom of the ladder in your imagination? And now imagine Jesus going over to their house and eating with them. How does that make you feel? The writer Mary Douglas talks about meals in the first century and talks about how even more so than today, meals were boundary markers. It, it said who was in and who was out. You, especially in this period, time period, even more so than today, who you ate with could get you further ahead. Whether it was business, religion, your reputation, you wanted to be seen eating with the right people and you would never be caught eating with the wrong people. This word, companion, you know, it shows companionship when you eat. Uh, it comes from the Latin, com, meaning with, and pan, meaning bread. It's even come into our, our, our language of uh, breaking bread together implies friendships. I mean, think about, through our history, meals have kept people apart thinking of seeing in the history books in the Deep South during seg segregation, no blacks allowed in this restaurant or in the United Kingdom, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. We've, we've struggled with that throughout humanity. The, the early church even struggled with, with how, to, how to come together, people from Jewish backgrounds and Gentile backgrounds. My, this isn't in my notes, but we have so much, we have the answers the world needs right here in our history and right here in our, in our text, in, in the New Testament especially, showing what can bring us together, something bigger that can hold us together. And now we, we also have the economic aspect to keep us apart. Now there's, there's certain restaurants only rich people can afford to go to. There are certain restaurants, I mean, if you go to a restaurant, there's medium income, and then there's low income kind of places. Um, when we eat, we usually eat with people who are like us. Not everybody, but usually it's with people like us. One of my favorite things to do is, is to go to Haven City Market here in Rancho Cucamonga. And you go and you see people from all different walks of life. I think it's interesting. There's lots of different kinds of restaurants, everything from Cajun 
to pokey to, to sushi to, there's a there's a taco place there's um, there's a Vietnamese food there's a Mediterranean food place and and you feel like this is a cross-section of what our town is like and you feel so much life I got one problem with Haven City Market though there are some picnic benches that are like community seating and you sit there and you're like, you're outside in this beautiful courtyard on a nice day. And then it's possible for someone to sit right next to you that doesn't know you. And oh, that's just the worst. Hey, how you doing? I'm trying to eat my, my Korean hot dog. Um, but in, in the first century, um, that, that wouldn't happen. You would carefully select who you would eat around. There was actually a whole code written about this table fellowship a good rabbi in the first century wouldn't be caught dead at a tax collector's home. There's a theologian called Scott Barchi. He says, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship in the first century. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to eat. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person became a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Betrayal or unfaithfulness towards anyone with whom one had shared a table was viewed as unacceptable. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. One theologian was commenting on this passage and said, Jesus got himself killed because of the way he ate. There's something to that. Here's, here's this scene where everyone in town was probably watching. They saw, at bare minimum, they saw Jesus go into Zacchaeus' house. And they, they could probably overhear Jesus say in verse 9 and 10, Today salvation has come to this house. What is salvation? I mean, that's part of the good news. The soul was far from God and was invited back to God's table. There was space for God to show hospitality to someone who had gone the wrong direction. But also for the original hearers, this verse 10, seek and save the lost. Now, th there's an aspect of this that, that, that we miss because we usually read for information. We read to get through it. But this book, Luke, was actually written and designed to be read out loud in one sitting. And to a first century brain, they're, they're, they've memorized a lot of this and they're much better at memorizing things that they've heard. Their ears would perk up from, from that, that phrase, seek and save the lost. It would act like a hyperlink for them and it would take them all the way back to this passage in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he is a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These stories aren't the exception. These kinds of stories are the rule in Jesus's life. He's sitting around a table with people who are not on the inside. Jesus gets the reputation of a glutton and a drunkard. Was Jesus a glutton and a drunkard? Absolutely not. But there's so many times where we see the method of Jesus is sitting down with people who don't think there's a place for them. He sits down with people and those people think, I'm not welcome at God's table. I mean, just in the book of Luke alone, There are 50 references to food. I mean, what a great reason to follow Jesus. I mean, 50 just in this book alone. I I saw one, one figure that said in the book of Matthew, there's 90. Some theologians say Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And when he's not eating, he's teaching. And most of the images, a lot of the images that Jesus has used, he uses are about food. He talks about the kingdom of God very often in terms of a feast. And he didn't come just spouting an ideology or these pithy moral maxims. Jesus taught about the kingdom and he showed people how to enter into it. And it was around a table. He's not just eating and drinking. There's something deeper going on. He was showing people how to be human, how to include others, how to repent of their sins, how to accept their place where they're invited to be the sons and daughters of God at God's table. This is a big deal in Christianity. The table has been at the center. If you follow the history of the church, church's architecture, it didn't start with a stage. The church didn't start with, with a podium. It, start with, it started with sharing this Jesus love feast around with a table at the center and everybody was invited. A meal with Jesus 
isn't just a sign of the kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. A meal with Jesus was with, he called himself the, the son of man, came to seek and save the lost. Jesus himself modeled the hospitality of saying, you're welcome here. I'll make space for you. I love the fact that Jesus didn't have a house. So often he had already invited himself over to someone's house and then he takes the place of a host. I mean, but I guess if you were there in the beginning, <laughs> it was the word and the word was God and everything was made in you and by you and for you and through you, you can probably invite yourself over to people's house. But that was Jesus's mission was to seek and save the lost. That's, that's what Jesus did. But his method was eating and drinking with outsiders, with the people on the lowest rungs. And Jesus' culture was hostile to that. He, he walked them through how this works, one meal at a time. You notice like when Jesus stands up and preaches, it's usually people who are trying to trick him. It's usually the, the overly religious, the people that are just doing things on the surface level, but their hearts weren't toward, turned towards God. That's when Jesus preaches. He engages in those conversations unapologetically, but with the people who are hurting, in pain, who've been pushed to the sides, he sits down with them. I was thinking, you know, the, the closest grocery store uh, stores um, to my house are, are Vaughn's and Trader Joe's. And in front of Trader Joe's, usually there's someone trying to sell something, trying to get me to sign a petition or to sign up for, for some cause. And there's sometimes I walk out of there and I catch myself feeling abrasive and like uh, just like my boundaries have been have been crossed and I don't want them to be. And I felt like I've been on both sides of that when it comes to evangelism and sharing the good news. And um, I don't want us to overreact to that particular method. I wanna highlight how Jesus just naturally shared the good news with people at a table. It doesn't have to be this complicated sales pitch, but also the beautiful heart. Of course people would react would react so well when, when society says you don't belong. And here's the son of God saying, you belong, sit down at my table. As you look through the gospel, you'll see that, that Jesus often preached. And when he was preachy, it was to people challenging him. It was him engaging in someone trying to trick him and trip him up into saying something that would get him into more trouble but the people who he opened himself out to, it was those bottom rung people. Even in the two passages we've looked at today, there was a tax farmer collector, and there was a woman who lived a sinful life, which is a biblical way of saying prostitute. And to both of them, he invited them, come and follow me. So we've been talking about hospitality for the past couple of weeks. Hospitality, if you go back to the, the New Testament word, it's the exact opposite of xenophobia, the fear of the foreigner. It's embracing those that are others. I love uh, Rosaria Butterfield in her book. It says, hospitality is turning strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And the New Testament, multiple places, commands us to practice hospitality. Romans chapter 12, 12, 
Practice hospitality. I won't read 1 Peter 4.8 or Hebrews 13.22. I do want to point out that in the qualifications listed for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and in the book of Titus, hospitality is a requirement for leadership in the church. And I've heard about a lot of leaders being taken off a team or removed from their role because of, uh, of a heresy or some sort of moral failure. But that really, that thought re- reformed my, my expectation and, and my perspective on how God views hospitality. It's a lot more important than I've absorbed from my culture and my upbringing. And just as a reminder, hospitality is not entertaining people. Hospitality is not performing. Because when I hear about this, a lot of the questions that pop into my head are, how do you you engage in hospitality if you don't have the gift of hospitality? How do you engage in hospitality if you can't afford it? How do you engage in hospitality if you have a ton of roommates or a studio apartment? I take great comfort in the fact that Jesus didn't have an Instagram account. He didn't arrange his beautiful backyard with the cool shaped Edison light bulbs and everyone with tastefully tastefully placed tattoos all perfectly and put the right filter on it. No, it's not entertainment and it, hospitality isn't image management. Entertainment is actually about exclusion. Our culture loves entertainment. Entertainment's like, I've invited the right people to my place. I want to be seen with these people at my place, or I want to be seen at their place. Hospitality is about inclusion. Entertainment is about performance. Hospitality is about service. In this entertainment zone, there's a clear line between host and guest. And as we've seen Jesus model for us, hospitality blurs the line between host and guest because hospitality is about doing life together. Entertainment is about getting your schedules together and it's sporadic and and kind of fitting it in. But hospitality is a regular rhythm. It's actually core to our Christian spirituality. There's scriptures that say, do not forsake coming together. That didn't mean to a show on Sundays. It meant gathering in regular rhythms to enjoy a meal together and worship Jesus together. Entertainment is reciprocal. Have you ever felt that? Oh, they invited us to their house. I guess we should invite them over. There's the key word, should. Hospitality is given cleanly and it's an act of generosity. Entertainment marks how our society is stratified and usually like meets with like. Hospitality is about God's justice for the poor. Hospitality is about God bringing different kinds of people together from different backgrounds. And Jesus teaching even, he says, when you throw a party, I like Jesus. First of all, he's eating all the time, and now he's assuming that his followers will throw a party. That's the assumption. And his next line is, Invite everyone so you won't be repaid. Don't just invite people that'll get you ahead. No, invite everybody. And throughout the the, the first 2,000 years, but especially the first 1,000 years of this Jesus movement, Jesus and the early church practiced 
this thing that was done in broader culture, hospitality was a big deal, but they flipped it. Instead of a way for it to move up the ladder, they aimed it downward and not up. And this good news message went from table to table, meeting to meeting, and it changed the course of human history. This is the primary way the gospel spreads. It's through the simple act, having a conversation, eating together. It's not political power. It's not, it didn't spread with protection in the Roman Empire. It didn't spread with fancy marketing or technology. The first Christians went table to table. They didn't even have any celebrity pastors back then. And they, they actually wiped out paganism. I mean, is there anyone still worshiping Jupiter these days? I mean, maybe, maybe somewhere over in LA or something, but no. Like, it, it wasn't through the, this top-down coercive thing. It changed. The gospel spread. Love spread table to table. And even now, we have the remnants. Like, things that our society depends on have the root word hospitality in it. Hospital hospice, hotel. None of that was in the early world in the first century. But followers of Jesus came up with these ideas. There's one one group of followers that said, you need to have a Christ room and it's set aside for guests and it's it's fully stocked and whoever comes to your door, welcome them and, and, and say there's room for you. Because when we practice hospitality, we show the world what God is like. When we don't practice hospitality, we're missing out on a chance to show the world what God is like. In those first thousand years of hospitality, there was this group, uh, the Benedictines, and it's still in their their rule of, of St. Benedict today. And it says, all visitors are to be welcomed as Christ. And it's like saying, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So from hospital to hotel, All of this stuff was around a table. It was started there, and we need this now. And don't worry, the challenge this week is not going to be for you to welcome a stranger to come live with you. We've all got to start somewhere. But I want you to think about this one fact, that preaching the gospel is more than having a platform to preach a sermon from. Preaching the gospel is more than having a YouTube channel. Be careful. I mean, this is, this is dangerous stuff for me because I tend to look at my house as a refuge, a way where I can just kind of peek my head out. But it's, it's messing with my life. And I just want to say now, I'm not at Jedi level with being hospitable. And if you're not, that is okay. I'm just learning now that I'm an introvert. I need my time alone. And I'm so grateful to pair this, this challenge to share my life with other people with Okay, also core practices of following Jesus are silence and solitude, and I can recharge there. But I'm challenged. Who do I eat with? Who's been in my home? Am I using my home like a bunker or as a weapon for the gospel? Is my house a light or is it just a cave that I hide in? So if, if you have made it this far into the video, at some level, you are curious about God. At some level, you desire for God. Would you like to increase your connection to God? Would you like to to feel closer to God? Yes, 
You know, we're practicing Sabbath and silence and solitude and scripture and other, other disciplines that Jesus practiced. But hospitality is one of those ways where you can experience God. It's one way where we can experience what Jesus talked about of being the vine. And, he, and we're the branches and he's the vine. Like hospitality, I said it a couple weeks ago, it's baked into the, into the DNA even of our universe. And I, I read about the universe continually expanding. I, as a pastor, think about the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, this continual outpouring of love. I feel like I would say the universe has to expand because the mutual hospitality, there's room for each other, there's uh, the, this expansion of love. When we participate in hospitality, we're getting caught up in that flow. This is what we are made for. So I wanna challenge you this week. Don't, don't start inviting people to live in your house, but just think about how you can make room for others in your life. Yeah, the end goal would be to be in a regular rhythm where, where you are practicing hospitality. But maybe, you know, maybe it's like our sister church up in Oregon. And, and Drew and Mary Ellen are off the charts gifted at hospitality. And that's part of the, the, their, their plan for planting this church. But they noticed, they would, they would prepare all the, these meals. They're simple, but just generous and warm. But their neighbors were kind of overwhelmed. They thought, oh, I don't want to go to these people's house. I don't know them. So get creative with it, like Drew and Mary Ellen did. They moved their barbecue from their backyard to their front yard. And they would set up all the food there. And all of a sudden, all their neighbors are coming over. It's gonna take those kinds of creative ideas. Like I remember moving into my neighborhood and, uh, and seeing my neighbor mowing his lawn. He's this great guy who immigrated to the States from Pakistan, but his first experience in America was Philadelphia. Can you imagine that? Like he moved to California from Philadelphia and, uh, and I was flagging him down, but he didn't hear me. So when he looked up and saw me with a goofy smile on my face, he flinched. He thought I was going to mug him. <laughs> and I introduced myself, and I was talking to him, and a couple more neighbors came out. And, uh, and I realized that they didn't know each other. And as they were talking, I heard them say, like, oh, my goodness, I've lived here five years. I've lived here ten years. I can't believe we don't know each other yet. Maybe it's just as simple as, as not raising your garage and getting into the, uh, into the house as soon as possible, but maybe it's just being around more and starting with a, with a high. Wherever you are at, the challenge is to ask God to show you these creative first steps. And I guarantee you, when you open your heart like that to, to, to let God mess with you, you're going to experience God in a new and a fresh way. So let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for making a space for us. Um, Jesus, please expand our minds and our perception of what it means to share the good news with people. And um, God, for those, those folks who, who would love uh, to have more community in their life, God, I pray that you will comfort them right now, that you'll give them the strength, uh, the courage to reach out, uh, to, to the church, to reach out to someone they know, uh, and that you will bring those people alongside of them. 
God, we ask that, that you would do a work in our hearts in this area and that we would reject the lie, the lies of our culture that says we have to hide from everybody. Help us to model this in a healthy way. Uh, and we can only do it with you filling us up with your hope, your energy, and your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we love you guys. And I meant that, I was praying it. Like if, if you would, you're like, I can't even think about hospitality right now. Like I am so lonely. That's what we're here for. Please reach out to us, send us a direct message. You can always reach us at sgbic.com. And wherever you're at, let's, let's take a few steps together. You don't have to do this alone. So in, uh, until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.